know, you couldn't pick a, a better series to go through when you're talking about what we just witnessed. Whether it's the baptism of a youth that's come to trust in Jesus as Savior and wants to testify of that in obedience to Jesus' commands, or just to have this very beginning of a first step of a child being born into a family. You're just getting to know this child, you're just adjusting to this child, but then you recognize that this child is a gift and that the journey has just begun. For as many years as God gives you, as many years as God gives the child, the relationship is there. And as many years in which we're able to walk with each other in a church family, the journey continues in following Jesus and being a vibrant church of disciple makers. And so that leads us into our sermon series for these three, four months of the Psalms of Ascents, which are a group of 15 psalms that the people that God has inspired to put and, and write down, also God used to put in a particular book in this order, that became used as songs that as God's people Israel were coming from all over the world to approach the temple, to come to Jerusalem, to come up the hill, to come and worship God, to celebrate the high holidays, three times a year, different festivals, but then also in any occasion in which they're coming to approach God's presence as he is known to be in the temple, then these are songs and lyrics that are on their hearts. The psalm that we're going to look at today is Psalm 124. And this psalm speaks of one particular aspect of the attitudes and, and, and the ways in which our hearts can be bent towards God that will make a journey towards God upwards, ascending towards him, one that is meaningful rather than obligatory, one that is filled with anticipation rather than one that is filled possibly with guilt and distraction at all the other things that are around us as we are approaching God. If we are intentional about wanting to come to God with the purest of heart, to worship him with our mind, soul, body, and strength, then to have this attitude being described in Psalm 124 be how we see God, how we want God, and how we have expectations of who God is, then will shape the why and the attitudes that we have in approaching him. Because if we think about God a particular way, then we will approach him a certain way. If we don't want to be somewhere, we will go up accordingly. But if we approach God with a completely different set of expectations and hopes, one that actually draws us near to him, one that actually makes us eager to be close to him, then not only will our focal point be clear and precise, but then our journey will be delightful and filled with praises and filled with things that God is doing among us. This psalm is not a psalm that makes the Christian life look easy, because it's not. Following Jesus is not a life that is filled with only blessings and happy occurrences. And I think the longer we've been walking with the Lord here in our midst, we know this to be true, that there are tragedies, there are hardships, there are sufferings among us, and the scripture actually teaches that God leads us into those sufferings for his glory and for our good, so it's not wishing for a life free of difficulties and hardships, but it's to see that God is with us in those hardships and trials, every single one of them, that he has not abandoned his people, but that in his power and his ability to sustain a people that he has saved by his power, that they will complete 
not only one journey to the temple, they will complete every journey in this earthly travel until he receives them into his presence. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this powerful and great God that is worthy of us looking at him and pursuing him and ascending towards him and not just someone that we have to settle for, someone that we just have to be stuck with, a journey that we don't want to be on, a road trip that we're not interested in. So please join me in prayer as we go into God's word. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for what we saw in the baptisms and what we saw in the family dedications, that, Lord, there are many travelers here in our midst that are intending by your power, because of what you've already done in their hearts and lives, and saving them from their sins through the work of Christ and also giving them a new heart in the power of the Holy Spirit, that they want to follow you, they want to trust you, they want to be a part of where your people are going, and they want to know you more and more. But we recognize that in this life, that there are many distractions and hardships and points of suffering and confusion in which as we are journeying together, our eyes may be taken off of you, our hearts may become disgruntled, our hopes might settle short of what you've promised for us, and maybe we want to give up and take a detour and go another way. And so God, help us to glean from your word here in Psalm 124. Help us to remember your presence in the lives of your people. Help us to be grateful for your protection over your people. And help us to trust and put our hopes in the creator of heaven and earth so that in having our hearts turn towards you, this journey will become increasingly sweet, increasingly joyful, and the companions with us will become both blessings to us as well as people that we encourage and invest in along the way. Thank you for making us this spiritual family that allows us to partake and share in this word even as we ascend towards you together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So for today, what I want you guys to do with the notes, there's you know, certain blocks that you can take notes in, but as much as possible, I want to encourage you guys to engage with specific memories and maybe thoughts and reflections in your own life as it might spring from a connection to the passage. Okay, there's three very simple points, and as we go through it, I'm hoping that you guys would take more than the notes about the sermon, but that on the right, maybe a particular memory comes up, you would jog it down. It could be a bullet point, it could be a few words. Maybe a particular circumstance, a particular trial, a point of suffering comes up. Don't just assume you know it. I want you guys to document it and write it down because this will help you to apply and consider what you're going to do with this passage as we continue to journey together. And so let's go ahead and read this passage together. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. There's eight verses here. Let's go ahead and read this together. Starting with verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth, 
We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Please be seated. Blessed be the reading of God's word. So this psalm begins with a repetition of one particular phrase. This repetition is this. If the Lord had not been on our side. Let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side. This is very, very important from the perspective of the psalmist. Everything that is written after that describes overwhelming disaster. It describes this enemy force that is just difficult to overcome, that was impenetrable, that was overcoming to the people of Israel. And this is a psalm that's classified as a psalm of David. And you could think that maybe it's David and the Philistines. But if you think further back to God's people and Egypt, if you think further up to the exile and Nebuchadnezzar, all of these enemies, not to mention natural disasters, are things that has happened in the lives of the people of God, to which they are overwhelmed, except if God had not been for them they would have been defeated. Right there we see that the life of the people of God is not one devoid of disasters and suffering and hardships. Eugene Peterson, who wrote a common book now, probably to us, about the Psalms of Ascents, he gave this quote about the people of God. He said, The person of faith is not a person who has been born, luckily, with a good digestion and sunny disposition. The assumption by outsiders that Christians are naive or protected is the opposite of the truth. Christians know more about the deep struggles of life than others, more about the ugliness of sin. These people that were approaching God, whether they are doing so to observe an an act of worship that happens several times a year, or they are generally just journeying towards God, in a physical location or journey towards God in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense, these are people that have encountered enemies in their lives. These enemies were ferocious, they were unrelenting, they were powerful. And the understanding that you find in verses 3 through 5 is that they should have been completely destroyed. You know, this idea of being overwhelmed with a wave, of being washed away like a sandcastle on a beach doesn't matter how sturdy you build it, by the morning, it's gone. That was the intensity by which God's people felt certain attacks, the ferociousness of certain enemies, like they were being swallowed alive, like they were being swept away. This is the reason why I asked you, if on the right side or anywhere, to think about the past and to reflect You know what is hard for us when it comes to having an attitude that is bent towards God and desiring him and pursuing him? Is that we forget the things that God has delivered us through. When we're having a morning like this, um, you see the family dedication, you see the babies. If I don't think hard enough, I forget that when Tobias was one years old, right near his birthday, he had this condition that I just didn't remember it was, but he couldn't breathe, and it was really hard, and he was in the hospital for an entire week. And it was torturous. It was horrible. 
he just felt helpless because they did not express themselves at that age. But yet the doctors were poking and he wasn't sleeping and different medicines, whatever it was. I know I'm not helping young families here, right? It, it, it probably will happen to you in some extent because life is life, right? But you forget that sometimes, don't you? If you don't take the time to reflect. You know, as I see Josie and I see Jacob in there, now I'm reminded that, wow, you know, pretty soon my oldest son is going to be learning how to drive. And then I remembered then the connection, maybe I chose to forget this, the connection of all the traffic little mishaps that I had when I was that age. You, want to, you kind of don't want to remember that. You want to just move on from that, you know, march into adulthood and say that you know what you're doing. But I made so many driving errors when I was young. And then now my oldest son is there. And he's going to learn how to drive. But we don't forget how God protected us in those instances. There were several times in which, really, because of God's provision, I probably should have died because you're facing the wrong way, cars are coming, it's raining, cars wrecked, whatever it is, you shouldn't have survived. And I'm not saying this to highlight anything about my life, but it's just I think we all share those kind of stories. We just don't reflect, and we don't take the time to remember how if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, something bad or something worse should have happened. Whether it's through a young adulthood, journeying through schooling and, and relationships, journeying through a vocation and a career, deciding where you're going to live. Maybe you're older with grown kids and they're trying to make a way for themselves. You're trying to decide what's going to happen with the second half of my life. Maybe you're somebody that has followed Jesus your entire life and a spouse passes away and, and now you're all alone. Where is God in all of this? Well, the psalmist tells us that God is with his people. But sometimes we just don't remember. We don't think about it. And we just kind of brush it off and go on with our day. We're so busy. We're so technologically, technologically connected that we're personally disconnected from God and from one another in the things that he is doing. And so above all things, we need to remember. We need to remember that God was there in instances, circumstances, and struggles of life. This week, there were four of us sent by this church to attend the SBC annual meeting in Birmingham. Some pictures I have up there. To the left, a big focal point of, of the convention was addressing the topic of sexual abuse in churches, which has been uncovered somewhat by the media, but it's just an aspect of culture that maybe we haven't addressed fully enough as a convention. So that entire week, there were you know, people speaking on this. There were workshops and panels discussing this. There were strategies and there were curriculum that were given, and many of these we would see possibly here brought back to our church so that we as pastors and staff with lay leaders and officers and, and anyone that serves, that this would be a safe place in a world that is ridden with sin, even amongst God's people. But you know, the most memorable thing that I engaged with during that conference or that convention was there was this one afternoon when President J.D. Greer he led us in a 45-minute time of prayer and lament. You know, on, on the surface, you might think, wait, wait, I, I don't know about this personally, or I've not engaged in this, I've not heard anything. What am I praying for? What am I lamenting for? But see, we need to remember. We need to remember. Here's one of the prayers that was offered. And, and how it went was, he, they actually wrote up different sections for different people. There was 
you know, sections for lay people. There were sections for pastors. There were sections, you know, for, you know, others, um, victims, survivors. And we just took turns praying and lamenting. But there was this one particular section that I remembered. The cry was this. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. They said, make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen carefully, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. God, look into our hearts and help us to remember. Help us to remember that you were there, you are there, and as God's people pursue and ascend towards the presence and the work and the will of God together, that he's not done with us. But we have to remember that he is there through it all. Otherwise, this would be overwhelming. This would be devastating, whether for a church, whether for a family, whether for a denomination. But the goal is not the preservation of institutions. The goal is the purity of his people. And we need to know that his presence is among us. Uh, to the left, uh, we also spent the last day after the convention was over doing some meaningful sightseeing. So this was the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute across the street. was the 16th Street Baptist Church where the, the bombing happened around the civil rights era in the 60s. Um, and four girls were killed. And, and that really kind of got a lot of things going in terms of protests and law changes and uh, a lot of things happened from that. But then you're walking through and you realize, that, okay, sure, maybe you know, I'm, I'm too young for this. But let's be honest, how much do many of us know about this era? But yet it's 50 years ago. 50 years ago. There's many people here that have lived through this. But yet we have no memory or connection to this when people treated one another, oftentimes in the name of Christ, with partiality, with bias, with hatred. But then you also saw people in the name of Christ, remembering God and ascending to his presence together, protesting, marching, changing laws, so on and so forth. I'm not saying everyone was perfect on either side, but I am saying that our memories are short sometimes. And it's important for us to remember that the presence of God is there. Otherwise, we would be overwhelmed. And that's the starting place, because we're not aiming to journey towards a God that we wonder if he's really there. You know, the psalm of sense is a group of people journeying towards God because we believe with all conviction that he is there. And we're going to go meet him. And we're going to go worship him. And we're going to sacrifice. And we're going to go and pursue him together. The second point is this, to be grateful for the protection of the Lord. And you find this starting from the very beginning of verse 6, where after they remember the presence of God, especially in light of the trials and tribulations, their first then response is, blessed be the Lord. You know, once you take the time to actually recall and put things together and, and sometimes connect the pieces and, and even uncover the, the ugliness and the sinfulness of some of our own shortcomings in the past as people, as sinners, mistakes that we've made and where God was present, you have then reason to bless God. Why? Second half of verse 6, because he has not given us prey to their teeth, and we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. 
There's a hunter at work in this world, in this life. That hunter sets traps. That hunter creates situations that are compromising. That hunter puts out bait. And the hunter, once he catches you, does not want to let you go. The hunter wants you to be in that trap as long as you will be there. You know who that hunter is? 1 Peter 5 tells us, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So when we talk about a spiritual warfare, it's not a video game. When we talk about spiritual warfare in this life, it is one in which there is an active enemy who is actively pursuing the people of God to trap them, to ensnare them, to keep them in their sin, filled with guilt, devoid of any hope that can be from outside of them, even though they know that God is there, their faith starts diminishing. How does God set us free from this? What you saw here, the gospel. You know, we're reminded in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel reminds us of this great exchange that took place by God's planning and by God's execution and by God's power in sending his son into the world to live a perfect life and then dying on the cross to bear the punishment for sin that we deserve to receive, the wrath from a holy God that we deserve to be placed upon us for eternity, and that by repenting and trusting in Jesus that we can be saved, which means our sins are forgiven, we're given a new heart, and that we can follow Jesus for the rest of our earthly lives all the way to heaven. See, God not only takes off the teeth of the trap through the work of Christ, but then he keeps at bay the enemies and their attacks as long as you continue to keep your eyes on him. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to try. But God is there. In 1 Peter 5, he continues in verse 9. Resist him, this enemy. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We can give thanks to God because not only has God set us free from the penalty of sin, but he is not done with setting us free from the snaring and the power of sin in this life. We're called to follow him and trust him. And he is there to do his part. We can give thanks because we are not helpless and hopeless in this life, in the midst of a culture that does not seek to honor him first. God's people could be different. God's people could be free. God's people could walk in liberty. God's people could dance 
towards the mountain that we're going to with joy and confidence of faith. Finally, the psalm calls us to place our hope in the providence of the Lord. I was going with the the P's here. You can see that. But I was debating, should I put power of the Lord? Because it's true. He's the maker of heaven and earth. The power of the Lord. Yes. No one greater, right? True. But I think for us, providence is meaningful as well in his leadership and his direction and his opening and closing of doors and his taking us into suffering and his bringing blessings and joys into our lives. That he is all-powerful, which is why we can trust the way that he leads us and the way that he provides for us in the way that he helps us. Verse 8 says this, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's amazing to think that the greatest being in the entire universe is considered a helper here. There's no one greater than him, and his desire is to help his people. How easy it is for us to look for other sources of power and authority and connections and, you know, for for that inroad, for that access, for that help, for that... But we forget that God is the greatest, and he wants to help us. You know, the greatest thing, and this is for you fathers, uh, myself included, I think the greatest thing that we can do to lead our families is to be like our Heavenly Father. Is to be people that will lead, but people that will help. See, it's, it's not a harsh authority that has nothing but obedience and submission attached to it, but then again, it's also not a weak leadership that has no ability to create change. But it begins with us, that dads are called to be servant leaders in the home. But yet, we have to defer to the Heavenly Father. We have to defer to God. We can't live out our dreams through our children. We need our children to have the Father's dreams for them to know and follow Jesus. How often are the messages of priorities and culture that we create in the home different from what we know is supposed to be in the church, when we hear in the church. But we're called to lead our families, to love our wives, and disciple our kids. And we can't do it without the help of God. Which means that we're going to cry out to him. We need to grow. We need to be in the word. We need to be praying. We need to be committed to community and sharpening and using our gifts in ministry in the lives of God's people. Otherwise, we're not able to lead as well in the home. But all of this begins with seeing how God frames himself as a help, the creator of the universe, the judge of our destiny, the eternal God who will last and reign forever. He is the help for his people. You know, in the beginning, verse 1 began with, what if the Lord was not on our side? I think for us, we have to think, are we on the Lord's side when it comes to leading in the home? 
when it comes to loving our wives, when it comes to discipling our children, when it comes to bringing our families into the household of God so that they are participating in the greatest community that will last forever. You know how you will know your children forever? Is when they become your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not for any other reason than that. Any other reason has an expiration date of your relationship with your children. When they become followers of Jesus and they are born again, you will know your kids forever. And it's going to be so weird when you're in heaven, when somebody you always remembered as being your kid is up there, you know, full-grown and glorious, worshiping with you. And I'm sure they'll remember that you're their parents, but that's not your main thing anymore. But the beauty is, there's going to be so many of you guys that will also have spiritual children up there that you remember growing up as little kids, going through children's ministry, going through Gap and Unicorn. You were their counselors. You continue to walk with them in life. They followed Jesus. They trusted in him, maybe limping as they went, maybe having doubts along the way, but they went and pursued and went on that ascent towards God for the duration of their lives. You will see them in heaven. The only way you will know someone forever is if they are there. So are we on the Lord's side? Are we on the Lord's side? Just a concluding thought here, if this is something that helps you. God's people grow in winsome worship and desperate dependence when we remember our Heavenly Father's presence, protection, and providence. You know, at the end of the day, it comes back to the words of a chorus that we're familiar with that I'd like to close this time with. So let's close our eyes. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Please join me. Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Heavenly Father, as we journey together as your people towards you, remind us God, that you've always been there and that you are protecting us. Remind us, Lord, that through Christ you are our righteousness, that you will uphold us, that you will justify us, that you will give us the honor that is in the work and the person of your Son. And also, humble us, Father, so that instead of always praying and wishing that you were on our side, Lord, that we would recognize that you being on our side is because we are on yours. And help us to pursue you together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bear fruit in the lives of the families that have just committed themselves to be disciple makers. Bear fruit in the Huang family, in Josie and Jacob's life as they have committed to follow you. Bear fruit in all of us as we journey. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.